All right. Credibility is important. There are people in your life you want to know that they are the real deal, the genuine article. For example, a doctor. You want them to know what they're doing. Or maybe if you are a lawyer or you're on trial, you want an expert witness that is credible. Credibility matters. And you can grow or dwindle in terms of your credibility in the eyes of others. For example, World Cup's going on. I could say, hey, that messy guy, he's quite a player from Argentina, isn't he? And you might think, if you're a soccer fan, oh, Justin's credibility quotient in terms of soccer has just risen. But if I said another word about soccer, you would know I know nothing. I just saw that on the ESPN homepage and Zach Larson's Facebook page, and so that's the only reason I know. And so now my credibility would dwindle. That's how credibility works. Athletes grow in their credibility as they accrue championship rings. Congratulations to Laker fans and Lakers alike. <clears throat> Some booze, wow. And it's not me. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, so we're continuing in the book of Acts, and it is Father's Day today, and in our series is Life-Changing Acts. And we're in the middle of a character study of a significant character um, who really could be considered one of the fathers of our faith. His, name, his name's Peter. And, and looking back, we know Peter is credible. We know he is the real deal. Despite a checkered past in the Gospels, in, in the book of Acts, he is this powerful, bold preacher. Mike covered Acts 3 and 4 last week. Um, and in Acts 2, when the church is born, Peter is the point man when the Holy Spirit comes and, and is set upon the church. He's a central character in, in the huge events that form the foundation of the church and shake the foundations of the world. And today we get to a part that may be easy to overlook in the life of Peter. So go ahead and turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 9, verse 32. Acts 9, 32. Um, the New Testament's about three quarters of the way through your Bible. So if you start hitting Matthew, Mark, and Luke, keep turning right. If you hit Obadiah, Amos, and Malachi, keep turning more right. Um, and then it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. Acts chapter 9. And if you get there really quick, for those people who are slow, just kind of shuffle your pages a little bit so they uh, give them some time. Acts chapter 9, 32 to 43. Let me read the story for you this morning. <clears throat> As Peter traveled about the country, he went to visit the saints in Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, a paralytic who had been bedridden for eight years. Aeneas, Peter said to him, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and take care of your mat. Immediately Aeneas got up. All those who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. In Joppa there was a disciple named Tabitha, which when translated is Dorcas, who was always doing good and helping the poor. About that time she became sick and died, and her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Lydda was near Joppa, so when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men to him and urged him, Please come at once. Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows stood around him, crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. Peter sent them all out of the room. Then he got down on his knees and prayed. Turning toward the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called the believers and the widows and presented her to them alive. This became known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord. Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner named Simon. And we'll pick it up from there next week. But what's this all about? 
I mean, these are cool stories. They're really interesting. They're really amazing. But how does this advance the storyline of Acts? Why does Luke put this in there? There's lots of healings. What's, what's the big deal? Well, last week we were, in, we were in Acts 4. This week we're all the way in Acts 9. And if you like to go through everything, don't worry. Through the month of July, we're going to fill in all the key players who are in those spots. But we're looking at Peter specifically um, last week, this week, and next. And, and I think um, it's as if Luke were... were Luke's the author of Acts. And as if they're reading this in the early church, it's almost a reintroduction that as Peter goes into this next huge stage of proclaiming the gospel to the Gentiles, he's saying to these guys, hey, this is Peter and he's legit. He is a credible witness of the gospel of Christ because look at the things he does. So we could very easily, these miracles, these healings, enfold them into the next section of the narrative because it's, I think, laying the groundwork to say, hey, listen to Peter. He's the real deal. But I think we'd miss something that I think is pretty profound and significant, specifically for how God has made us at Cypress Church, and specifically as we're looking to reach our community more profoundly as this year is our year of outreach. And the foundational truth is this. This is what I want you to get, is that healing authenticates our message today. When we are people of healing, we show that we speak truthfully about Jesus not just miracles, in, in, as in Peter's time. And if we were to do the miraculous, certainly that would lend credibility. But even on a lesser scale, when we are people who are healers, we lend credibility to our proclamation of the gospel. So now this is a Father's Day message. So that's kind of the gist of where we're going. But there's going to be challenges here that will apply to moms, dads, singles, everyone, um, as we unpack this passage. It's going to be family heavy. You're going to hear about my kids a lot today. Sorry about that. Um, but you can take the principles and you can apply them no matter where you are in your station in life. And I hope you, you, you do that work uh, coming out of this this morning because this text has something for all of us. Um, but this idea of healing raises some questions about our credibility, specifically why healing? And why not something else? And, and there may be other ways, and certainly there are, but I think healing is particularly important to us because one of the things Cypress Church is known as is a hospital for the hurting, a place where when people are hurting, they come and they get taken care of. And so this applies to who we are, and we want to make it all the more who we are as we move forward in what God has called us to as a church. So first we're going to look at, we're going to look at how and why we need to be a people of healing like Peter. The first thing is, is the why. Jesus healed, so follow his example. Jesus healed, follow his example. Listen to this, Luke. This, this is Luke, not Acts. Luke chapter 5, verses 20 to 24. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began to think to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? But that you may know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Does that sound familiar? Try this one, Luke 7. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, don't cry. Then he went up and touched the coffin, and those carrying it stood still. He said, young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. 
See, ultimately, being a person of healing isn't about being like Peter at all. It's about being like Jesus, who Peter is trying to be like. Jesus was healing all over the place. That's, you read the Gospels, and you should if you haven't, and that's what he does. But you know what? That's not all that he does. Those are the things that are spectacular that we focus on. But he also does a, a powerful job of healing hearts. And since we're talking about Peter, think about his story. Mike mentioned it last week. Peter had made some bold predictions. He said, Jesus, if everyone leaves you, I'm with you. I'm with you to the end. I've got your back. Some guys came. Peter bailed. He said, and even like, he wasn't just scared of the guys with swords. There was a little servant girl says, I think you know Jesus, don't you? He's like, I don't don't know him. I don't know what you're talking about. So in Jesus's darkest hour, Peter was gone. Peter was not there for him. And then, and he does it three times. So Jesus is tried. He's crucified. He's buried. He raises again. And then, and then in John 21, there is this beautiful encounter that Jesus has with Peter. Um, this is the risen Christ. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, Simon son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus had asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Jesus didn't just forgive Peter. He entrusted his people to him. I mean, it's powerful to say, God, I blew it. And he says, I forgive you. But he went beyond that. He didn't just say, hey, you blew it and I forgive you, but You blew it, I forgive you, and here's my people. I'm counting on you to take care of them. What Jesus did here was powerfully healing to Peter because he didn't just forgive him, he trusted him with his people. Now, now I get it. I mean, it's just a huge example of grace and healing. I get it that we're not Jesus, we're not even Peter, but listen to what Jesus, as he's praying in the upper room in John 17, listen to what he says about us, about the disciples. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. Now, that's just... A few words, but it's huge. Because it says that, hey, Father, the way that you sent me, the things that you told me to do, the way you told me to minister is how you are, is how I'm sending them. I'm sending them to do what I do. And what Jesus does is Jesus heals. He heals bodies, he heals hearts, he heals people. So that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to follow Jesus in ministry. We're supposed to do the things that he does, miraculously or not. And I don't know about you, but that's thrilling that I get to do the things Jesus does, and it's terrifying because I'm me, not Jesus. Um, but he, he, Jesus leaves heaven and enters into the muck of creation and humanity, and he says, come on in, the water's fine. This is where you're supposed to be, being my agent of healing in this world. He says, come on, do it like I do it. That's That's powerful. But one thing is we're not Jesus, and being God has its advantages. And so we're, we've got this great call, this great be like me, but got a long ways to go to get there. So what do we do na- next? Well, healing shows God's power, so we pray. Um, we need to pray for God's power to be agents of healing. We see this in Acts chapter 9, verse 34. Aeneas said to Peter, said, Pete, Aeneas, Peter said to him, Jesus Christ heals you. That's so important. It isn't Peter that does the healing. Peter is the agent. Peter is the person that God uses, but it is Jesus Christ who heals. 
And so this is something where um, we need to be um, connected to God. And you see it also in verse 40. Peter sent them all out of the room. Then he got down on his knees and prayed. Turning toward the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes and seeing Peter, she sat up. See, if we're to be agents of God the Father's healing, we need him to do a work in us. We need to let him use us in such a way that we are people who heal like Jesus did. Um, That comes by praying, but also being radically committed to loving people in a powerful way. Romans 5 says God's love is poured into our hearts. And God's love is this limitless reservoir of love. And I don't know about you, but I am not. I'm a pretty limited reservoir, really limited, like a sponge maybe, a small sponge. Um, So what we need to do is we need to be, live these lives of prayer where we are tapping into the reservoir of God's love so that we can live that out into the lives of others. And so that comes not just, that comes through prayer, it comes through spiritual disciplines. Um, A lot of people are going through experience of life, seeking those opportunities to be the kind of person that God has created you to be so that you can be a healer like God is because God is at work through you and he's changing you. Um, we need to be people of prayer if we want to be agents of healing. And so we have a prayer ministry. And, and you might say, hey, I, don't, I know I need to pray, but I really need prayer right now. Uh, on the seat pockets in front of you, there should be things called communication cards. You need prayer, fill that out. We have a team that meets here every Tuesday night, and they will pray for you. And the staff will get those, and we will pray for you. So fill them out, don't be shy. And, if you do, and it'll be on a prayer letter, and so other people will get that and pray for you. And if you don't want other people to get it and pray for you, write elder staff only, confidential, and we'll just pray for you. But take advantage of those opportunities as you're hurting. Seek prayer. That's where God does a great amount of healing. And we want to be useful in that. Um, And join the prayer team. Pray with them on Tuesday nights or pray anywhere you are. In fact, if you get one thing from Father's Day today, is that your Heavenly Father always has time for you. Pray anytime. He's there. He's listening. And he wants to use that time to minister to you and heal you. Praying, Praying for someone is as profound a service as you can offer. So commit to doing that. I was, had a meeting with Cheryl Bajarski talking about the mom's ministry this, uh, this week. And it's for, all, it's for moms with young children. And we were talking a bit about parenting. And she said the most significant thing she's done for her kids is pray. She has a little a prayer book on how to pray for your kids. And it's all worn out, right, Cheryl? Um, it's, it's marked up, worn out. And, and that is the most significant ministry she's had as a mom. She prays like crazy. And that's encouraging because that's, I can do that. But it's also challenging because a lot of times I don't. And so um, here are some things I do to build reminders into my lifestyle so that I remember to pray. Um, Specifically for my kids, but also for other people. I read a lot. So I have bookmarks. And I have, Vivian has two and the other kids have one, but that's just because Vivian makes me more bookmarks. Um, But but I have, in my Bible is, is my Vivian bookmark. And in my, one of my devotional books I'm reading, I have my Ellie footprint from preschool and I have a little uh, Seahawk, uh, Seahawk ticket stub for Kale because he doesn't make anything yet except a mess. Um, and so, um, but I have those things so that w- the books that I'm reading most, those are reminders to me. And, and I have like different missionaries and ministries as bookmarks as well, but there's three bookmarks that are at the top and those are my kids. And, and also I, I use Echo Prayer and we had that on the screen um, when Mike taught on prayer a little while ago and I get text message updates of pray for this person, that person and one of them is praying for my kids as well. Um, and also um, just prayer journals so, and stuff like that. So I need help remembering and I have to change it up because I am not one of those who is a natural prayer and so I need tools to help me do that. 
And I encourage you to use those because we can't reasonably expect to be God's agent of healing in our world if we're not asking God to do the healing. Because remember, it's Jesus who heals, not you. And so we need to be connected to him, asking him to work on behalf of those we love and, and seeing healing in people's lives. So we've got our model. We pray. Now we need to get to work and then watch God work. So the last thing we're looking at with a lot of subpoints, you're not getting off that easy, um, is that healing brings people to Jesus. So look around. Look for opportunities. We demonstrate God's goodness through healing, but, but what does that look like? And then what are the results? For Peter, it was physical healing. It was pretty dramatic. Um, we pray for physical healing whenever people request. So during our Garden of Prayer time, I'll often pray with people for physical needs, either theirs or friends or family member. And we should do that. But also, um, we need to look at what it means to be people of healing where people are internally. Um, what does it look like for us to be people of healing in the home and in our church and then in the community? And that's community, and that's what we're going to look at. Both ways we're trying to live it out, and then we're going to see some of the results. And by healing, I've said that word probably, I don't know, 500 times so far, maybe 100. Um, what we're talking is, of course, fixing what's broken, but there's also an aspect of healing. It's just bringing wholeness. It's just bringing people to health the way God intended them to be. So even if something isn't visibly broke, there's still fixing to be done because we're fallen humanity who needs to be um, conformed to the image of Christ. That's what healthy looks like. Um, so here we go. Healing in the home. God calls us to bring healing in the home. And I have three small children. The oldest is seven. So I really have no grounds to speak as an authority on parenting at all. So I'll go straight to the scriptures, which is probably smarter anyways. Um, but being healers in the home starts with raising children up to know the Lord. Proverbs 22, verse 6, train a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, that is not an ironclad promise. It's a general principle. That's what Proverbs are. But that, that's what God calls us to do, is to, to point them the way to Jesus. Now, we're also to do it in a way that turns their heart towards Jesus, not just their teeth-gritted obedience. So Ephesians 6, 4 says, Fathers, don't exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. And when it comes to exasperating children, I do that sometimes, but my defense is they did it first. They totally, they totally exasperated me first. They started it, um, so I need to work on that. You can pray for me. <laughs> so, no, but parenting is hard. It's thankless work. Thank your dad today. Thank your mom too. Just not while dad's looking. Make it dad's day, you know. Um, but, but be sure to treat them right, and not just today, but always. Honor your parents. And that isn't just for this section. Y'all, honor your parents. That's not just a kid thing. It's an adult thing. It's what God calls us to do. So honor them today and always. And, and also get help. Uh, the moms group, a great opportunity to learn about parenting from peers and women who are a little farther down the road in terms of child raising. There's times where I'm like, I don't know what to do here. So I call guys up. I pop over to Mike's office like, help. I, I, don't, I don't have any idea. And... and we want to be agents of healing in the home. That means burying your pride a little bit and looking for help. Um, and, and when we're people of healing in the home, the results can have a ripple effect. I'll give you a personal example. There was probably, I don't know, a 10-year span where I don't think my old man owned a rig that I hadn't damaged in some large or small way. Wasn't the best young driver. Um, and so sometimes it was significant, sometimes it was minor, but and I'm also a guy who takes failure hard. I don't know why that is. I'll have to talk with Ron, but I'm not sure why. But when I drop the ball, I feel it. And, and, and I, I, I don't like messing up. And so um, after I had ruined one of his cars, <laughs> um, 
it seems like either later that day or maybe the next day, he would, he would send me on some errand, probably something he didn't even need done. He's like, would you go do this? And I just thought he was maybe lazy at the time or something. But now, now with looking back, it's, you know, he's saying, get back on the horse. Go drive. Learn how to do it better this time, but, but go do it. And, and that was, looking back, I can see the healing that that offered. Um, and that was a meaningful thing, like, kind of like Jesus, where it was not just a I forgive you thing, it was an I trust you thing. Um, and so hopefully the healing will then expand beyond your home address. So we're going to move from healing in the home to healing in the church now, and these two are connected. Um, a former college student, I loaned him my truck for some reason. I think he had a job interview. And uh, then at the end of that week, maybe he was starting a new job, I don't know. End of that week, we're heading to Mexico for a mission trip. And I'm in the church van, because only pastors dare drive the church van. Um, and so um, we, uh, we were in that, and I'm following up the, him up the hill in Rosarito, and I notice there's like a crease in my tailgate, like perfectly vertical. And so I'm like, maybe I did. We lived in Long Beach, parking's kind of chaotic down there. It could have been me, but I, I say, hey, Jeff, did, what? did something happen to the tailgate? And he kind of... he. He had this sheepish, embarrassed smile. He's like, I, I meant to tell you, but the week was busy, and then, you know, we were packing up to go to Mexico, and I just totally backed into a basketball hoop, you know, it hit the pole and just creased it real nice there. Um, and I said, okay, that's fine. You know, and it wasn't terrible. I let it be. I didn't think twice about it. In fact, I, I don't know how much I've thought of this until I had to actually write a sermon. Um, but... Um, but sometime later, I don't know if it was that day, it wouldn't have been that day because it was nighttime, but it might have been the next day or later that week or something like that. He just, he just pulled me aside and he was visibly thankful for saying, hey, thanks for still trusting me with the keys after I obviously dented your truck. Um, and, and don't get me wrong, that's not some deep emotional healing or giving sight to the blind or raising a paralytic or anything like that. But it's an example, a small example, the best I got <laughs> of how healing in the home can spill over into healing in the church. Does that make sense? I didn't think through the process. I didn't make connections of, okay, well, I'm really ticked at Jeff, and so I should berate him, um, but my dad did this, so I won't do that. It was just, that's how you respond to a nick on a truck or a dent in a truck is this way. And that was something I learned at home. There isn't one way of healing in the church. That's one example. There are hundreds. I mean, when needs are deep, and you need some extended one-on-one attention. We have a licensed therapist on staff, Ron Jackson, and he has trained a team of lay leaders who you can meet with as well, who have gone through training and are continuing to go through training so they can help you through those dark, painful places you're walking. Um, There's tons of ministries to get plugged in as well, and maybe it isn't even something that's really heavy, like great pain, or that you're, um, something that's even through the church infrastructure. You just need to build some friendships, you just need to, to meet with some people um, so you can build some relationships and go camping with people and have some people to hang out with that you can build into their lives and they can build into yours and you can see something develop from there. And, and that may seem minor, but it's huge. I was reading this book. Um, I actually heard a speaker and I started reading his book. Um, his name's Reggie Joyner and his book is Parenting Beyond Your Capacity. And the reality of what he was sharing with me was crystallized in my mind the other day. I took my kids to swim lessons with Jen Matthews and we're in their backyard, and the girls hop right into the pool. They're ready to get going. Kale starts to go to the pool, and then he says, where's Hannah? Because Hannah Matthews, Jen's daughter, I think she's in eighth grade, has been in there helping. And so Kale's not going in without Hannah. So he goes, he pops his head in the door, calls for Hannah, and then finally Hannah comes out. He is, he's going to be trouble. Um, you should see him make eyes at Janelle Anchetta. He is a shameless little hobbit, man. Um, but 
Anyways, I'm poolside, and I, I bring a book, but I don't really because it's too much like, hey, Dad, watch this, or Kale quit throwing that at the girls because, you know, like moving targets, um, stuff like that. So, so I don't get much um, reading done, but I'm thinking, and, and this is where uh, Joyner's idea crystallized for me, is that my capacity as a parent is limited. That's, that's no big deal. That's the case for all of us. But we seem stuck there, but that's why he gave us a church. I need Hannah Matthews or someone like Hannah as a parent, and not just to babysit on date night. I need them speaking into my kids' lives. Um, Ellie's going to be a teenager in six years. That means for the next 10 to 15 years, I am getting progressively dumber every day, <laughs> in, in her eyes at least. But Hannah or Lauren or Katie, they're going to be 19, 20, 25, 30. They are geniuses. They are sages at that age who can speak into my daughter's life. And if the church is working right, if we are building intergenerational connections, it's not just that they're speaking into their lives, but they're speaking the same things into their lives. And that's hugely important where they won't believe me, but they'll believe Lauren or Hannah or Katie. And that's huge. It doesn't happen overnight, but you see how the church can bring healing and wholeness to families. So we need to take advantage of opportunities to connect with each other. There are great ways to make this happen. You just need to take advantage of them, and you need to do the hard work of, of getting in. Um, uh, in terms of, it's just awkward to step into a new group for the first time. Whether it's a small group, whether it's an adult fellowship, um, whenever there's a transition from one group to the next, it's you know from sixth grade to junior high group, eighth grade to high school group, senior in high school to freshman in college, those are always hard, but make the effort to build those relationships because it's worth it. Because this is how God makes us a healing church, not just healing families. The men's ministry sponsors a bicycling ministry. And I've been told it's not just for guys. And I, I knew that, but I haven't emphasized that. And so guys get together, guys and gals get together on Saturday morning and they go for rides. And, and I understand Juan, you guys will wait. Juan's a, a good biker. But if you want to go and just have a fun ride with the family, they're going to wait for you. They're going to take care of you. They're not going to leave you stranded in Huntington Beach or something like that. There's worse places to be stranded, but they're not going to leave you there. They're going, to, um, they're going to take care of you, and it can be a great time for building those connections intergenerationally and from family to family. So take advantage of things like that. Serve with youth or children. I mean, even if it's to give some of those children's workers, give them a summer off to, to recharge, um, or even long-term, but give it a try, because my kids love going to church, and it has nothing to do with me. I told them, hey, it's Father's Day. You going to come hear Daddy preach? <laughs> no. <laughs> why, why would I do that? You know, they have a blast over there. And it's because of um, the people, too many people to count, who love them and invest in them and make their going to church a joy. And I am so grateful for that as a parent. And some of you need to step up into those roles, whether it be for the summer or long term, to be a blessing and help building a church body that heals and brings wholeness. God's called us to be agents of healing in the home. He's called us to be agents of healing in the church. What's next? Healing in the community. We need to deal with our personal issues, but we also need to meet with the community in a meaningful way. Jesus would heal whole cities if they'd let him. Sometimes God called him somewhere else before he was done, but Jesus took care of the masses, not just the individuals. He fed 5,000. Um, Yahweh, after he had exiled his people because they were unfaithful in Babylon, he didn't say, hey, you guys make your own little huddle here and don't interact with anyone. Listen to what he says in Jeremiah 29.7. Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you 
into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. That Israel was called to be people of healing to those filthy Babylonians who had just beaten them in war, had just destroyed them and exported them to Babylon. So what does this mean for us? It means that we don't just tackle the problems that we're dealing with in our home. It doesn't mean we just tackle the problems of the person sitting next to us in, here in church, their problems. It means we tackle community problems. It means we tackle neighborhood problems as well. We see this in uh, um, Tabitha in our passage. It isn't an accident that widows were hanging out at her house because she was someone who was committed for, to caring for the poor, which widows were generally poor because they didn't have the social structures, so they were on their own. So, so she was there caring for people, and it's likely they put her in an upper room, which means she probably had some wealth if that was her home. So she was likely a woman of means, and she used those means to bless others. She was someone who didn't just take care of her own problems. She met society's problems of poverty in Israel at the time. Now, as a culture, we have lots of problems. Just one that I want to think about today um, it's kind of appropriate, kind of not. It's Father's Day, and I'm probably preaching to the choir today, but we have a crisis of fatherhood in our nation. I'm getting into a, a touchy area where I, I haven't deeply studied. I've only studied enough to be really troubled, and that dad's gone for more and more kids. Donald Miller, uh, he wrote Blue Like Jazz. Maybe some of you read that. He has a book called Father Fiction, and it's his thoughts on manhood as a guy growing up who's, and his dad left. And he talks about how the church filled in the gap for him and helped him mature and become um, a mature man. But he has a statistic in there. It says 94% of those in prison are men. And of those men in prison, 85% of them don't have a dad. That's astounding. That's crazy. And you want to talk about a root issue. There's a root issue. And, And yeah, it's way too big for our little church here. But just because we can't do something, can't do everything, doesn't mean we shouldn't do something. So it may mean taking your kids and one of the neighbor kids as well to that event, the sporting event, whatever it is you're going to. It may mean having community life groups or adult fellowships that are mixed enough that you can include that single mom or single dad who's enduring um, their, their heroic task alone. It means being people who live out the book of Acts and change our lives and the lives of others as we as we seek to make a difference in our culture. I mean, that has huge implications for our year of outreach. Let's, let's move to that real quickly. What kind of difference does being a person of healing make? In each healing of Peter's, we see people flocking to Jesus. Verses 35 and 42. All those who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. And then in verse 42, this became known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord. So there's this massive turning. Lives are being changed, and it's not just the two people who got healed, but people are seeing Peter be an agent of God's healing. They think, I want to be part of that. And so they are turning, not just being physically healed, but turning and connecting in relationship with God because of what they're seeing. Now, we have to be honest here. Um, Peter has a wow factor, like raising someone who's dead, that we aren't going to have, unless you do that. But... but um, you know, when it comes to just having a cup of coffee with that friend who is, is really hurting, or when it comes to um, just building a stronger church family, it's not as dramatic as what we're seeing from Peter. We might be more like Tabitha and her small band of widows. But we be he- it's our job to be healers, and God decides the expanse of our influence. 
Peter gathered big crowds, Tabitha a handful, but it was healing that gathered people to Jesus. It, so it, it was healing that gathered people to the living God. People want to know if we're a people worth belonging to. Our, one of that is being healthy in our homes, in our churches, and, and in the things we lend our energies to. But even if we're not healthy, I mean, none of us are totally healthy. We've all got work to do because Jesus is the, the picture of health. But even if we're not perfectly healthy, we can at least be heading the right direction. We can be heading towards wholeness and healing in each other's lives and helping others find it along the way. What this looks like practically, or at least in terms of impact, Donald Miller, um, we have the book, by the way, Father Fiction used to be published under To Own a Dragon. That's in the church library, the older edition. Um, he started a mentoring organization because he recognized the need. It runs in his church, and they mentor kids in Portland public schools. Portland is one of the most liberal, unchurched major cities in the United States. The Portland public school system recently called Imago Day community, said, we need 500 mentors. And he said, you know we're Christians, right? And they said, we know and we don't care. Because they recognize that they have a huge need and they see that this fatherlessness in their school system is resulting in poor choices and kids dropping out and all kinds of things like that. It's a root cause for a lot of issues. And so they're desperate. And, and they don't preach or disciple, but Donald Miller's, Donald Miller's tribe here is aiming to change Portland. And once they figure out how to do it in Portland, they want to change the world. They, they, don't, they love these kids. They're a voice of someone who cares as a steady word of wisdom in their lives. They aren't even preaching the gospel. But even without this evangelistic edge, do you think this is going to have some influence? You think some kids might find Jesus in this whole process when they think, why in the world does this adult spend two hours a week or four hours a week or however much it is? What motivates them to spend time with me? They're going to ask questions sooner or later, and Jesus is the answer. Healing is powerful and attractive, and healing is part of God's mission because it draws people to the sun. And it happens here as well, not just for people who write books like Donald Miller, but Clayton, our pastor to seniors, and Sharon Ayers and Carrie Couch have a ministry called Grief Share. And this is a, a ministry for those who have suffered loss. They've lost someone um, close to them to death. And it's a great blessing. And Clayton just thought it was a great ministry inside the church. And he came to find out by experience and also by reading more is that this is a significant outreach because people don't know where to go with their grief. And so they come to a place where they hear about grief share and they hear about the hope that Jesus offers and they're drawn because they need healing. And how beautiful is it that we are a place where they find it? And that's, healing draws people to Jesus as people who do the healing and then ultimately we point them to Jesus. And sometimes I think, just to close, we set up this false dichotomy that healing's for us getting better and for the inside of the person or the church family, but then we need to get to the business of outreach. And I think some people have been outreached to death. Many people are tired of hearing talk about outreach. They want to see wholeness. They want to see health. They want to see goodness. They want to see beauty. They want to see healing. And so for Peter, the, the healings were dramatic pictures of what God wants to do inside the life of everyone. Um, we may not have the dramatic healings, but we can do the slow work of being people who are committed to healing each other, committed to healing those who are suffering. 
And when we do that, it's an important aspect of our mission because it gives us credibility. Because when we say Jesus loves you, it isn't just words, but it's something they see because we are committed to loving each other. We are committed to loving those around us who are hurting. And then there's some handles. There's some, a picture to what it means to say Jesus loves. So it's, it's my prayer, and I, I'm thankful that God has made us a church like that, and it is my prayer that we become a church like that all the more as we move forward into this year of outreach, that we would be healing like Peter because he's healing like Jesus. Mike, would you lead us in Garden of Prayer? You know, we're at uh, either in that place where, well, we're at both of them where we're receiving healing from God constantly and, and being one who heals, uh, being that, uh, as Proverbs 15.4 says, that soothing tongue. Some of you got my email this week that talked about that verse where a soothing tongue is, is like a tree of life, uh, is a source of life. And that God wants not only to come in and to heal us from the things that we uh, are dealing with, but also to use us as a soothing tongue, uh, a healing person to another. And uh, that's an important part of it. Thank you, Justin, for the encouragement of that as we seek to reach out with the life-changing message of Jesus. Uh, we want to have a time in our service where we pray, and so I'm asking our prayer team members, our elders, and our staff to make their way to the positions around the auditorium. Some are standing up front here, some are standing along the sides, and some in the back, and these people uh, would love to pray for you. Maybe it's for healing, something that you're going through, something that you're dealing with, uh, something that you know somebody else is dealing with. Uh, maybe you're a dad and just need some <laughs> healing yourself, or the challenge to be even a better dad. Uh, maybe it's Something else. Uh, these people are here. They would love to pray with you. Uh, I encourage you while you're in your seat to pray uh, and, and spend that. God loves the sound of your voice, even though it may not be audible. The, the thought in your mind is, is just as good. I also want to encourage you to pray for the Mitchell family. Some of you know Tom Mitchell. He was uh, um, pray, uh, played uh, in the worship team some years ago. He's also played uh, before uh, certain times here. He went home to be with the Lord on uh, Friday night and the memorial service will be here on saturday at noon but pray for that family they would appreciate your prayers as they deal with a, a, a it was expected because he was dealing with some cancer but uh, but it was way too soon so i want to pray for that but let's all stand for those who want to come out and pray with one of us and spend this time talking to god
inside me again. My life was in His hands. He knows my name. He knows my every thought. He sees. 